Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Unfinished, for making this episode possible. Unfinished is a full-stack Webflow design and development agency that helps companies at the startup and enterprise level build creative and innovative websites. Thank you to RR and the whole team for supporting the podcast, and now let's get back to the episode. There we go. (laughs) So you can start whenever you'd like, and... I'm debating whether I should say hi, hello, or greeting. I'm going to do all three. Hello, hi, greeting. My name is McGuire, Brandon, and welcome to the Great Design Lead Podcast. I'm the VP of Education and Community at Webflow, and right now, I am working on something extremely top secret. Perfect intro. Ideal intro. Honestly, it was only going to be one take. There there wasn't even a chance of a second take. (laughs) We had to make it... We had to make it at least acceptable. And the fact that you think it's acceptable warms my heart. I don't know. You're so prepared. Like, Mike is great. The intro is great. You're prepared. And I don't know. I'm just really, really excited to spend some time with you. What could we do? Like, it seems so. I'm very excited to spend time with you as well. But what can we do to really mess with? You set really high expectations there. And I feel like if we don't have some type of mild calamity early on, <laughs> It's gonna it's gonna be way too of a, too high of a bar to clear. So really quickly, I'm just gonna try to maybe for the next like couple seconds, I could talk over here, and now and now the bar has been reset. It's like he doesn't know where to speak. The microphone's what seven inches, eight inches away from his face, and now we're back. Let's see what we there can you just go. lower the bar together. <laughs> Very human. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I've been looking forward to this for so long. So I, I remember. That's wild, dude. <laughs> I because I remember from like the very first time that I was sitting across the, the table from you when we were at that dinner together, and I was uh, chatting with a couple other people that were around, and a bunch of them were like, "Have you asked McGuire to come on the podcast yet?" And I'm like, "I couldn't bother him. Like he has so much going on. I don't know." And then Aaron was like, "Oh my gosh, I'll talk to him." it'll be fine. We'll sort this out. And I'm like, all right, dude. And then you had listened to the podcast previous and you were telling me that you were listening to so many other episodes. And I was just sitting there across the table from you, just trying to keep it together. And it was such a special little moment. And people were sitting next to me and they looked at me and they're like, are you, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing fine. I think one of the the really (laughs) weird things that happens. uh, So first off, I'm super flattered. Thank you so much. uh, I, I honestly feel so similarly because I think one of the things that happens when you know someone's digital persona or like when it's a, a one-way relationship where it's, I've listened to you talk to other people, or you may have listened to me talk at a screen or at a thing or to an audience or whatever that is. It's this weird, it's this weird thing when you meet that person in per, in, in person uh, or you just speak to them. It can be digital like this. It can be virtual like this. There is that weird moment where you are are like, I don't know, the person, because of the nature of how you first interacted with them or or, or listened to them, was out of reach. It wasn't two-way. There's that weird moment where you go from a, a one-way relationship to a two-way, like you're now interacting directly with that person. And I had already, at that point, like I said, had already listened to you enough that I felt similar feelings. The same, Like it was the same, it was like, Oh my gosh, this is this is like you're like a celebrity. You're like the the great design lead podcast is freaking amazing. And I I remember way back when this must have been earlier last year, maybe mid last year, when we were going through things like uh the grant applications for Webflow community grants. 
And I remember hearing about, I think, I think that's when I first heard about uh, your podcast. I remember subscribing immediately. And I, I did what I think most people do when you interview, uh, <laughs> I almost said celebrities, because I feel like that's what it is. In the design, isn't, that, isn't that true though? Like in the design world, there's so many people we look up to. There's so many people we revere. We want to know how do they work? How do they think? What made them who they are? And I think you do such a good job at that. And I think that's what I did initially. I, I pulled up your podcast thing on Apple Podcasts and I just looked for the names that I knew because you name each of your episodes that way. And I looked for the names and I started listening based on that. And it was a very similar feeling of I had heard you interview tons of people and now it's like, oh, she's talking to me and I'm talking to her. It's a very interesting thing that we've both observed each other from a totally different way of interacting to that, I don't know, two-way communication, which I think is amazing. So I think that you know exactly how I feel and I might know a little bit about how you That is it. Look at that. I think I had the first experience like that one time when I did, I think when I met the first person in the Webflow community and uh, his name was, was Nico Voss and he was in Germany, still is in Germany. And I reached out to him on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, it'd be really nice to to meet you and say hi. And we went on Zoom and he had had a YouTube channel or and he posted a bunch of videos and his camera was in the same setup uh, as his YouTube videos. And so there was a moment where he came on screen and he hadn't really like realized that the Zoom was on yet. And then he looked at me and said, oh, hi, Emily. And I'm like, this is so weird. It's no, like no, no, no. Video is talking to me. There is something uh, that that crosses a line. I'm just going to be honest. That crosses. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's cool. But that has to be purely surreal. I can't imagine taking like an interview call or something like that and doing it from I'm in the I'm in the studio right now, but like doing it from like the education desk and stand sitting behind the computer like, hello, Emily. Like, I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's shocking. I'm sure it's a great call, but that is there's a line. And I think that I think that has to officially cross the line. It's so strange, though, the, the experience that I've been able to live to because when I uh, like went to Webflow Conference, I had had all of these. Uh, we abbreviated super... Webflow Conf. It's a very specific oh. <laughs> branding decision. Uh, the the errance is just honestly a distraction at times. But as, as you were saying, when you went to Webflow Conf. When I, when I was at Webflow Conf, I had this amazing experience of having all of these really meaningful conversations with people. And sometimes right. they came on multiple times. So I might've spent collectively like, I don't know, four and a half hours with people talking with totally no interruptions, no, no anything, just talking about childhoods and what their life was like and everything. And so just walking around was just so, I don't, I don't know if the word is like overstimulating, but just, it, it was no, so sure, strange. All of these people I knew so well, and, and this is the first time you met in person, but you know what's their that, voice so well. What's that? All right, so controversial uh, question for you. Um, we're in this state, it's 2023, where so much heavily pushed by uh, the pandemic, but but we're in this state of a lot of remote conversation. Most mm -hmm. of the conversations that we have, whether it's in work, uh, many of them in life, even um, in personal life, are remote phone calls, FaceTimes, Zoom, WebEx, whatever your your choices. What is the difference to you, or what are the differences to you between what it feels like to connect with someone virtually versus in person? Hmm. It's a good question. I think that there's a lot of like social cues that you can miss, like the way that maybe somebody's uh, knee is. Tapping. Yeah, you have. That's so true. I realized this like this entire time, these many minutes we've been talking, you haven't seen my knees at all. Mm -hmm. 
that's like, and I don't know what knees tell you, but yeah, a little bit of the knee <laughs> that that could say something. You haven't seen my elbows, uh, and it's 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 actually really obvious right now. No one knows whether I'm wearing shoes, <laughs> and no one will <laughs> until I say right now I'm totally wearing shoes. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know. There's definitely something that surround experience of just being with somebody in person. Do you feel like you lose part of that human connection when you establish relationships or continue relationships, uh, professional, personal, purely remotely? Or is it just an evolution of how we communicate? It's a bit of an evolution because I have so many more people in my life yeah. who I have meaningful yes. connections with that I would, wouldn't have been able to meet nearby. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. But you, I, I, will, I will go as far as to say, though, there is something different. There's something different. There's something. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's something. Webflow Conf is, is a great example of this. We just went to Barcelona last week. I went with uh, Emily and Sana and Sophia. And uh, we were in Barcelona for a Webflow meetup. And there was something about, I know so many of these folks from Twitter. I know so many of these folks from just YouTube, from, from digital interactions. The moment I was in the room with these incredible, and this is freelancers, agencies, like Webflow people that like we all would recognize. And something about when you're in person, there's just something magical about that. I, I wonder if part of that is just craving the post-pandemic, like human connection of just being in the same room as other people. But I think there is something magical about like it, the rare moments when you can come, uh, when you can be face to face with another person. I don't know. It's, that's, that's pretty special. I think that's something that everybody was realizing in the last year that there was a webflow conf that everybody was Really, I think for a lot of people, that's like one of the first trips that they've done in a while. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It was the first and, time I left yeah. my house in like six years. Six years? No. no what? Completely <laughs> untrue. No, we go into the office every single day. Yeah. But it was the first time I went to that restaurant in in probably a year. Yeah. That was it. I don't know. That was such a that was such a sweet experience with everybody. Was, You're was, such a great. host. What does like that you, mean? You're you mean Webflow, right? I I was I think I I I did not do much. I think Emily did the other the other Emily. I feel like I need to use last names when I'm in a conversation with another person. <laughs> Emily Lanetto, brilliant yeah. director of community and agency marketing, uh, was an incredible host. I think mm -hmm. one of the things that first off, thank you. Uh, but I I really think that like one of the things we don't do enough of, and this is a thing that Webflow is doing more and more of. It's like, how can we facilitate really good in-person connections like that? Mm -hmm. How do we, how do we do better? So you're saying, you know, really good host. Cool. I'm, I'm instantly in the mindset of like, okay, cool. How can we do 600 times better? How can we do 20 <laughs> more things like that per year? I, I'm, that's where my mind goes immediately. I have so many questions for you, but would you be okay if we started with my favorite question and then kind of worked from Start there? with your favorite question and work from there. <laughs> My my favorite question for you is, when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I've thought a lot about this because you ask this, I think, for every episode. It's mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, I've thought a lot about this. Uh, I have a really clear answer early on. Um, I wanted to be a music educator, period. Mm. Like, I wanted to be. I remember I must have been 13, 14. I was a freshman in, in high school. And I wasn't really big into sports, athletics. But I... And I I really wasn't very good at clarinet either. I was always in the the third row of clarinets. 
Um, but I, at one point, heard about this position in, so I went to school in Florida. And I heard this, uh, I learned about this position in high school called drum major. And at first when I had heard that, I thought it was like a percussion captain where you're literally playing drums. And everyone's <laughs> like, no, 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 you are the person who gets to conduct the band for the halftime show and for all the events. And there was something that clicked about like, oh, that would be cool. I have no idea how to conduct, but the idea of of being able to lead an ensemble of musicians, I don't know, that's a really cool thing. And so I started doing, I would I would conduct in front of a mirror for two hours at a time. And it would be really embarrassing if my mom like walked in on me and I'm like conducting in front of a mirror with I don't know, ter- terrible music, I'm sure, playing in the background. Just something so embarrassing. It's very personal to me. But I ended up auditioning as a freshman uh, in high school and I got to attend with the seniors drum major camp and I started getting better at conducting. And through my high school, oh, by the way, I sucked. I was so bad. I, I, <laughs> my junior year, by the way, I got it as a junior and I thought it was the coolest thing. It's like, once you get into a position of power, you have, you can, you, you, you conduct and they're going to do it. No, no. Every single person was like, you don't get to tell me what to do. This person should have gotten drum major. We're not going to listen. It was, it was, it was, it was heavy. And I remember getting up there in front of the first time and conducting and it was just a simple four, four beat. I was just warming them up. And somehow I forgot how to conduct and I'm like, shake, I'm trembling. Really? Just filled with, oh yeah. Filled with so much uh, fear, so much adrenaline. This is like, it was, it was overwhelming. And I remember finishing that day of band camp. This was the first day of uh, band camp that year. And the second day I got up and I asked my band director, Terry Padishall, I went to her and I said, um, do you want to do the warm up today? I, I know yesterday I shit the bed or whatever I'd said as a high schooler to my band director, which was certainly not that. I said, <laughs> um, do you want to do it? And she wouldn't even make eye contact with me. And she like pointed at the podium and she said, get back up. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and I did it again and I sucked again and I did it again and I sucked again. But I think over the next couple of years, it became something that uh, very much because of her push, I persevered at and I was actually good at it. And it felt like the first thing as a kid that I was good at. Like I was really good at getting in front of the group and doing the, it's not just the conducting. It's like, you're doing a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say relationship management, but it's, 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 um, it's making sure you have not just the attention of and the discipline of, but the alignment of all these disparate wind players, percussionists, et cetera. And they all have to be together. They all have to be thinking the same thing, doing the same thing, operating the same way, or it doesn't work. It falls apart. And it's different from business where it's like, you know, someone doesn't do their job in one department and, you know, you may see implications of that somewhere else, et cetera. But like in music, it's just painfully obvious on a marching band field. It's painful. You can see it. You, you, you can see it and you can hear it. And it's so real. So I wanted to be my TLDR for this is I wanted to be a music educator. That's what I wanted. That was it. What was that moment like when you felt like, oh, there's no way that she's going to like have me go back up there? <laughs> uh, you know, when you really, really, really practice hard for something and you're training, it can be any number of things. It can be work. It can be personal. It's like you, you make this moment out to be like the ultimate defining thing. For me, that was getting up in front of the band for the first time and thinking, and there's, there's a bit of, I don't know, the temerity of, of youth or maybe it's just arrogance or can, I don't, there's, there's so many words for this, but I thought once I got the position, mm. that's all I did. Like, that was it. That was the hard part. Now I just get up and wave my arms. Um, and I remember even before getting up there, I thought, oh no, I, I still have something more to prove. They don't, you know, as junior in high school, it's like the, 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 the thought is, oh, they don't like me yet. They'll like me if I'm mm. good at this. 
They'll like, mm-hmm. they'll accept, maybe it wasn't like it was accept. They'll accept, uh, maybe because there were a lot of seniors that didn't get the position and a lot of, you know, how high school politics can be. It was very, it was very much like I had something to prove. Mm-hmm. So I had worked up this moment of like, I'm going to get up in front of the band and they're going to see me conduct and it's going to be so badass. It's going to be so good. They're going to, they're going to get it. They're going to understand why I was the one that was picked. And then that moment when it didn't happen or it just, it just fell apart, led me to think, okay, if I don't have their confidence, there's no way I have Terry Padishall's, uh, Miss Padishall at the time, uh, uh, her confidence. There's no way. Um, so I think it was just this feeling of I've lost the, I've, I've been given a position. I fell short of meeting the expectations of that. And therefore, why would she have confidence in me? Why would, mm-hmm. you know, all my peers, all my fellow students, why would, why would they have confidence in me? So I think that was the the feeling. It's just this feeling of I didn't lose confidence in myself, oddly. It was it was just more of it was more of feeling like I just let everyone down and there's I I have uh no expectation that they think anything of me, at least in terms of, you know, waving my arms in front of the band at that point. In the the car ride home from the first day of band camp, can you describe to me what that experience was? Was it like a bike ride home? Was it a car ride home? It must have been a car ride. I mean, this is like 500 years ago, but this must have been a a, a car ride. Uh, I can I can tell you what I was thinking. I, I remember vividly what I was thinking that night once I got home, um, which is I went very quickly. This is before the next day when I went up and said, do you want to conduct? And she wouldn't look at me and said, no, get up. Um, <laughs> but that night, I remember thinking, I can't let myself, I I, I can't let it, um, I can't let that thought take over. And I remember I spent, I must've been four hours that night, literally conducting and singing my own warmups in the mirror. That's what really? I did that night. Oh yeah. That was, it. it was like, I, yep, I screwed up. I will never screw that up again. Um, and so even when I went in to ask her, I had, I had done the work that night that I would, it's not, I mean, I'd done, I'd, I'd probably done, a thousand five hundred hours of of practice at that point, and it's not like I didn't know how to do it, but I just had to work out all the kinks. And so that night, I remember spending four hours doing it. I just, it, it was it wasn't like a beating myself up thing. It was more of a I cannot show up poorly twice. I did that once. There's no way I'm going to do that again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There's no way, no way. That's what that night was. I don't remember what what other thoughts I had. It was just it was very quick that it was it was like, yeah, I just gotta I have to do this again. Okay. Yeah, that's that's not who I really am. That's not my real skill level. I can do better. That's it. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like almost like very objective. It might have been. It was it was deeply emotional though. It was mm-hmm. deeply emotional. Yeah. It was I tied up a lot of my feelings of, I think this is a real thing in high school. I don't think, by the way, this this just suddenly disappears after high school, but I think there was a lot I tied, there was a lot tied up into that being part of my identity mm-hmm. and part of the value that I, I, the value to other people, or at least my peers in, in band. I felt like that was, that was my value. And if I don't mm-hmm. hold up my end, then what is that value? Mm-hmm. Like, who, who am I? Yeah. And, and, how am I important? Because I sucked academically. Really? Man, I was just like barely holding up at like C level, maybe C's. Yeah, we get A's in the things that I really liked. Uh, but man, I sucked academically. And I sucked it, as it's, it's funny as a clarinet player. I was so terrible. And that's not me being humble. I was just really bad. I'm still to this day 
and squawk a couple notes, but that was the one thing I was getting good at. And it's like, once you, you know, when you, when you push really hard into, and you try to, you try to get into that really top level of, I'm going to be the best at this thing, or I'm going to be extremely good at this thing. Uh, it, it, it becomes a point of pride. It, mm-hmm. bec- it really, and that pride gets so intertwined with identity and that, tw- that, that identity is, I don't know, especially as a high schooler, uh, it, it's, it's so critical. It's, it's, it was at the core. So I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was objective. It was just, it was like as a, again, I don't know what my age was, 15, 16, whatever that age was at that moment. It was like, it was the only thing I knew how to do. Cause it's like, I got to get better. That's if that's, if that's who I am, I got to just own that and get better at it. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think the kind of thing, oh, sorry. No, no, no. I was, I was going to say, but I think there was still part of me in the back of my mind that was like, she's not going to let me go up again tomorrow <laughs> and do it. So this is all not going to work out, but you know what? I'll, I'll at least try. Did you, did you talk to your mom that day after? Oh, I'm sure I did, but I wouldn't, I didn't, I didn't tell her about it. I'm sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's, why, why would that be? Um, she's probably one of the most open supportive. Well, she's, she is the most open supportive person in my life to this day. Uh, but I think when I have a personal failure, as this is true to this day, I, I have to kind of work it out a little bit. First, mm-hmm. when I, when I let someone down, let someone, uh, you know, if, if it's something, if it's something quick and low stakes, uh, that's really, of course, I'm going to address it immediately. But if there's like a, there's like a big moment failure, I need a little bit of time to reflect on it. Uh, and then I also think, especially as a teenager, there was part of me that is, there's ego involved. Mm. I don't even, I, my mom's my biggest champion to this day. And I, I'm sure at 15, 16, there was part of me that's like, oh, I can't tell mom that I, <laughs> you know, that I screwed up. Uh, she'd be so accepting and so warm about it. But there's just part of me that's like, no, I'm going to do really, really good. And then I'm going to tell her once I've done really, really good. I think yeah. that was it. What were the things that you did like in high school? You said there were some Ooh. things that I liked, though. Latin. Uh, really? Take, oh my God, Latin's so freaking cool. That was so hard. Are you high school? Oh yeah, I was. Ext- <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I got to see in it. Like it was. It wasn't. It wasn't that I performed well uh, in Latin. It was that I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved the idea that I could learn. First off, everyone says Latin's a dead language, and I think people misinterpret that. Which is, it's not like you can't say it, you can't speak it, you can't use it. It's just that it's not actively used anywhere as like a primary language. But I think the the big thing I loved about Latin was like, it felt like I was learning the secrets to every other language, especially, you know, what Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, Romanian, French, everything that was derived, and, and English to a huge extent. Um, I, I felt like I was unlocking the secret of like, once I learned these words in Latin, this, this vocabulary in Latin, now I understand what this term in English means. And it just felt like a weird shortcut where it's like, I don't know, you're, be, you're being given this like 2000 year old keys to the, to the, to the current languages. And I, I, I don't know, it felt like a hack. It felt like a, um, felt like cheating. It felt like a shortcut. I loved that feeling. It's like, I learned that word and now you give me any, you know, any of these words in English. And it's like, oh, I know that because the root sounds like this. That sounds like Latin for, you know, whatever that is. And that connection, oh, I love that. To this day, I still love that feeling when you get a word and you don't know what it means, but you can break it apart and you basically get it right. Holy shit, coolest feeling ever. I, I love that. And so there was Latin, 
There was music, there was oh my band. Uh, video production, anything video production. That was more middle school for me, but anything video production. Um, just the ability to create something or work with a team to create something really cool and you can watch it back. And, and, and when you can get the audience reaction, oh my God. Last, last, so this is, I still to this day, last year when we were at uh, WebflowConf, uh, me and Sada and Greamer snuck out. We were in the green room and we snuck out into the audience because we wanted to watch the opening video for WebflowConf, which I have to say real quick, just won the Golden Telly Award. Um, one of eight companies, uh, there were 13,000 companies that submit for Telly Awards every year. And we just won the Golden Telly for the intro, for the uh, opening for WebflowConf keynote. The team, I'm so freaking proud of them. It is such a, it came out great. Uh, but that opening video to the keynote where Greamer exposes his abdominal region, um, <laughs> which is still to this day, we have like pictures of that. Like we have, it's, it's, it's like pasted all over the office. Uh, he's an absolute legend. Uh, but that moment, like I love nothing more than getting into the audience. And I just want to like, what is the audience reaction? Are they going to laugh here? Are they going to get joy out of this thing? Are they going to? So I think in high school, but more in middle school, there was a lot of that too, which is if I can get involved in video production and create something that evokes an emotion, whether that emotion is like happiness or I love if I can tug on heartstrings a little bit, if I could tell that type of story, whatever it is, I loved that feeling in video production. Love that feeling. What was the, the introduction in middle school? I had the coolest, and this is actually going back to elementary school. So Back in elementary school, this was fifth grade. So I must have been, what, 10 plus or minus? Um, back in fifth grade, I there was this phenomenal, she ran the uh, media center. So like the, the library plus all the digital stuff at my elementary school. Uh, her name is Barbara Vincent. And she's just one of those people that just changes the course of your life. Um, it's, it's just remarkable. Probably the most important um, uh, educational figure up until... Terry Padishall, uh, my band director, and uh, Barbara Vincent. I don't remember quite how that how this happened, but I remember I got brought in to read. I was uh, to read for a uh, an anchor position, but it wasn't for the morning news or anything. They were doing a video on dolphins. I know that sounds so wild, but like it was it was like a dolphin PSA type video for the state of Florida, and it was going to be distributed on VHS tape. Uh, this dates me a lot, but it was going to be distributed on VHS tape to. I think every public school in the state of Florida. So thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So I came in and read for it, somehow got the part. And I don't, I just still don't know. I have to call up Barbara Vincent and see how this happened. And I got the part. And I, so I actually started in front of the camera or yeah, in front of the camera. And I really liked that. And I wanted to chase that feeling of being part of a production, even though it was you know, 10 years old. And so I would do more and more and more of uh, uh, that type of stuff. That's how I got involved in the video production. But I will say the, bigger, bigger, bigger moment for me was years before that when my mom got me, this is the coolest thing. You should Google this sometime. It's, it's, it's amazing. There's this thing called a Tyco video, T-Y-C-O. Tyco made a, a, a little electronic device called a Tyco video cam, a Tyco video cam. Yeah, I think that's it. And it's like the, the most wild little, like it's, it's almost like low black and white quality, like security cam type camera. <laughs> and it, but what you would do is you hook up the little, uh, uh, composite cables, a little yellow and white cable. And then you would plug that into your VCR and it would basically be like, here's how to make home movies. You could never edit with it. It wasn't color, but it let me as an only child create, you know, when I couldn't hang out with friends on the block or anything like that, or in staying because it was a rainy day, as was every day in Florida. Um, <laughs> we would be, that was like every Florida summer, it rains like clockwork. It's fantastic, but you know, you're staying inside. Um, I would create videos with my stuffed animal friends. 
uh, Fluffy and Todd and everyone. Like I had I'm like a whole cast of cool animal friends that would like hang out and will like make videos together. I would use the Tyco video cam to make that happen. And I think that plus then getting a taste of it in a school setting set off this like, all right, I want to do more video stuff. How do I do more video stuff? How do I do it? So middle school, I got a chance to direct uh, the morning news and Barbara really? did that whole, oh, holy shit. It was the coolest thing. Uh, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, I think that's what's cool about student productions is like the best person for that job would be the teacher who knows how to do that. But the teacher's job is to say to the student, you do it, you try it, you fail, you learn. And that empowered me and everyone else that I was in video production with to try and fail and learn. And sure, the teacher could guide and just make sure we're safe, but it created an environment where we're all doing things that are probably 10 years beyond where we were as you know young teenagers. And that, to me, was about the coolest thing. That was so freaking cool. You're just creating something, and they're giving you the keys to create it. And like, I don't know, that's the, that's the type of stuff to me that I, when I think of what shaped you, you asked, you know, love a video or involvement in a video, but like the things that shaped me as a kid were always based on those moments, those opportunities, those, um, those moments where someone else handed the keys to me and said, Hey, I trust you. Mm. And whether it's Terry Pattishall doing the same thing on the get up go do it again uh or barbara vincent and 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 that team saying yeah try why don't you try directing um that kind of empowerment uh i think is is probably what gives me to this day is probably it's probably the foundation for what makes me feel like oh let me try that thing i think i can do that um because when you have people that believe in you or at least push you um i don't know it does something it it does something internally it's, it's a really really great foundation i could never replace that yeah it's it's not something you can replace. No. No. And now I want to do that for like that's that's the other thing. Like my my favorite person at, at Webflow. I'm not gonna say favorite person at Webflow. Now I'm gonna uh, piss off everyone. But I'm just gonna say <laughs> like I, I will say I will say one of my favorite people. But I, I will I will go out and say that the person I'm most proud to work with that I've worked with for the longest uh, at Webflow is Stacy Han. And Stacy, mm-hmm. who video lead uh, on the education and community team. Um, is the type of person she has so much drive so much initiative like wherever i put the bar wherever curtis or anyone whatever wherever someone puts the bar she'll find some way to clear it um so she already has that but what's really 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 cool is every time we've had the opportunity to uh, stacy started as a as an editor and every time we've had an opportunity where it's like hey we need someone to produce this thing and Stacy will raise her hand. And instead of being like, no, 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 I'll produce it, Stacy, you just edit it. I think my, because of that foundation, that same foundation for me as a child, my first thing is like, cool, Stacy, why don't you produce it? Let me know how we can support or let, let the team know how you can support. And there is that culture. And I love that, 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 that culture that gets built when you start doing that. Why don't you try this uh, mm-hmm. thing where it can take longer, but uh, early on, but the results of that are incredible. And like Stacy to this day, uh, every single time you think she's hit that, you know, she's, she's reached a, a new high, whatever that bar is, there's like, she'll find some way to clear that bar. And I think that's probably my favorite relationship at Webflow, particularly because uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the times where it's like, if Stacey has an opportunity to do something, we, 
give Stacy that opportunity because she's going to crush it. But I'm very proud of seeing when you when you create that environment, um, or when someone has that opportunity, they take advantage of it and they find some way to do something that I think I won't speak for Stacy, but continually surprises me. And I think continually surprises others. So yes, I would never replace that type of, um, that type of, um, I'm not, I'm using the wrong word with empowerment, just the trust and confidence of letting someone do something, um, when you have the authority and the power and you can just give that up, like give that up. What, why, why not? I, I, there's nothing stopping me. I've got to do this all the time, but like, there's nothing stopping me from if it doesn't work out. Okay. We need to make a change. Let's take it this way. But like at least giving that opportunity to try it. And I'm, I'm surprised at how much better things are when, when I go that route, as opposed to me just saying, no, I'm going to own it and do it hundred percent myself. Mm-hmm. It's shittier sometimes when I do it that way, particularly <laughs> because like, I, I would have never come up with this idea and this idea and this idea, and this way of doing it. So yeah, I think that's really important. I have somebody in my life that I look at a little bit like mini version of me. She's a little bit younger than me and and going through the same path. And the love that I have for her as a friend um, and the joy that I get out of uh, giving her advice or anytime she asks a question, just giving her everything. Literally the other day she asked me for um, some advice about user experience design and, and how to get into that that life and so i made a powerpoint presentation for her and no way. a loom video as i was presenting the presentation what? to and then i sent it to her and she just looked at this loom link and just said emily i think there's something wrong with you but like i really appreciate it so my reaction to that is i have two things one i do think there's something wrong with you i didn't mean that in a very good way um I mean, but two, and this is what I mean by, I think there's something, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's, it's uniquely different. And those are two words I realized that mean very similar things. I don't know many people who would do that in a professional environment for someone who is a direct report or a colleague, but the fact that you would do that for, for someone else just to help them out. Uh, I think that's special. I think that's really special. It's there's sometimes in life, I I think that you have a lot of this as well. Sometimes in life, there's things that you just feel like you need to do and you don't really know why you're doing it. But later on in life, you look back and you're like, oh my God, like that's the thing that I needed to go to the next step. And I even know why I was doing it. Didn't make any sense. Everybody was like confused why I was doing this. But now that led me to this new thing. It's a weird thing. I I think I, I couldn't agree more, but I think there's also a flip side to that, which is, I think there are times that when you let, I've, I've made this mistake as much as anyone, but when you let fear or uncertainty of something uh, paralyze you from making a decision that you feel is right, then that, that's what I feel leads to, you know, 10 years down the road, you look back and you're like, oh, I have huge regret that I didn't try that thing or mm. explore that, uh, that, that different option. And I think, I think to me, life, not to uh, try to sound profound here, but I actually think life for for me is a balance between those two it's what are the things that i want to do that i want to try that i you know even even as you said it's it's not that i know exactly why or i don't have to really rationalize it but i may have a different you know view as to or a different appreciation 10 years from now i think it's that combined with if i'm feeling fear or hesitation around something but i know it's the right decision or i feel like oh i need to explore that or try that out if i combine these two things that's what makes life i don't know fun, interesting, and not, I don't want to say safe. I think safe is, 
is probably the uh, a mindset that um I, th- I think sometimes we we do play it safe. I think I think sometimes risk is good. I think I really think risk is good. The taking that leap sometimes is really good. And I I I, I think making a decision based on uh fear and that's just the, that's the other part of it. Like the moment you just said what you said, I felt like I have to I I absolutely have to inject the other side of it, which is like making a decision because of fear or uncertainty is just as harmful at times as the positive version that you're just talking about where it's like I don't know try this thing it's going to be you know it'll be a it'll be a, a good move and maybe in 5 10 years I'll look back on it and think it's a good move I think it's a balance I think it's I think it's both of those things Have you experienced that uh fear and regret and uncertainty no never yeah. constantly <laughs> oh my gosh are you kidding yes oh all the time and I, I, the number of times that I think there's, there's a little bit of, I think there's a little bit of, you make a decision, you stick to it and you just own it type culture. Like that's, that's the thing. And I, I'm, I've made this mistake so often. I've made a call. We're going to stick with that call. Let's continue sticking with that call. And knowing that there's a better option or a different option or that I can walk that back and make that change. That's probably been for my twenties and thirties, like that's probably been the the thing I've had to get so much better in. I still have so much growth to do there, but like, I think I'm trying to think of a specific example, maybe for my twenties where this happened. Um, uh, uh, actually I'll, I'll use, I'll use one with, uh, with Webflow. Um, this is about six years ago, maybe seven years ago. Um, I actually started, I, I, I did not join Webflow, uh, as a, a full-time team member, I actually, my agency, uh, um, contracted with Webflow for the first nine or 10 months. And I think I was so wanting to hold on, and this was ego. This was definitely ego. I was so wanting to hold on to my own agency Mm. because it felt like I had the autonomy. It felt like I had the title. I felt like I had all these things that, you know, they're very ego-y, it was very important. There was, there was a lot of identity caught up in that too. There's like, no, I, I, I run this agency. I'm not an employee of a startup doing this thing. And I think that, that actually created, you know, nine or 10 months of, oh my God, I loved working with, I met Vlad. I've told this story before, but like I, I met Vlad and expected him to be like an uptight, um, maybe not uptight, but I expected, expected generic tech uh, CEO uh, vibes and I'm, I met Vlad in person. This is another one of those in-person versus virtual things. And instantly I'm like disarmed because it's just, he's just nerding out about CSS and nerding out about like the stuff that we could build uh, visually. And going back to that, you know, that relationship, that nine, 10 months where I was contracting, I think I probably held back a lot of really important conversations with him and with people at Webflow because I I held on to that autonomy so much when in reality, if I just ask myself, what do I want? Oh, I want to work with awesome people to create really cool shit that gets people excited about learning design and development. That was it. That was literally mm-hmm. it. That's what I wanted to do agency wise. And I didn't realize that Webflow could be a vehicle for me to do that. Like working at Webflow full time could be a, a vehicle for me to do that. So I think I was more hesitant. I think maybe that's a, it's a more recent example. I'm sure there's a billion more like that, but I, I let that drag on for nine or 10 months rather than just, thinking, why don't I take this leap? Mm-hmm. This is a really cool company. I knew within an hour of meeting Vlad is like, okay, I could work with this person. 
I could report to this person. I could learn from this person. It was, that was very quick. Why did I let it take nine or 10 months until, you know, formally joining Webflow? I think it was ego. I think it was uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the fear of losing something I'd worked hard to build. Build Because my agency, like, man, it was, it was cool. We did, we did a lot of website stuff, but I got to do some of the cool, we got to work with ABC and Disney and do all sorts of like visual effects stuff and title stuff. Like it was so fun. And I think, I think the fear of like, oh, what if I lose this? Mm. It wasn't a one-way door. It's like, I can always contract for whatever, do whatever design stuff, do whatever. It's like after effects. We can always open up after effects and do something for a client. That's not, that's not going to stop. So I think that's, that's probably the best example I can think of in medium term memory. Was there a conversation with someone that made you let go of that ego? Or was there a moment by yourself? Or what was that transition like? Uh, I later found out that Vlad and the team were spending a lot of time inviting me to events, et cetera, to, I won't say wear me down. I would say <laughs> professionally recruit uh, me joining the team. Uh, I make it sound more sinister and 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 fake than it was because I don't think it was that at all. I think there was a big... Um, I think it was a big transition. I don't think it was a, a single moment. I think as I felt more and more comfortable and I could see myself working in an environment because I, w- I had spent so much time with these, these, uh, these, I don't know, these, I just say these people, like that's what it was. It was like this, just getting to know the people. I got to meet Nelson and got to spend time with like spend time in person and remotely with Nelson. I got to spend time with Brian. I got to spend time with Sergi. I could go on and on. Like it was, it was disarming because I started to, build not just confidence in that team, but trust. And with trust, it was like, now I can just let my guard. I don't need to have this. What, what am I, what am I, what am I, why am I holding on to this? And what am I gaining by doing that as opposed to joining the team? Because the, you know, from, from Vlad, it's, Hey, we really value education. Why don't you spin up your own dedicated department? Not a subset of some other department, not a, you know, a, a, oh on the side agency thing. No, like what if we literally give you department level resources and you come in as head of education and you run education at Webflow? Um, and I think that proposition was far more attractive after just getting to know the people. So no, I don't think it was like a, a single moment. And I think the, the decision to join became way easier when that trust was built, way easier when that trust was built what the conversations were like with people that were really close in your life that weren't in the Webflow world and you were talking about, hey, so this this thing that I am so tied to and my identity is is wrapped up in it as well, I've decided <laughs> to go and do something yes. else. What was that like? There were two There were two camps. Uh, I'll, I'll just broad strokes it. Uh, there, uh, camp number one was friends and family members who wanted nothing more than for me to join a full-time job where, and this was, there were, must've been, you know, 40 team members at Webflow at the time. But at that point it had been established, already had tons and tons and tons of customers, was doing great financially. Um, I think there was the the camp uh, of friends and family that were very supportive of saying, join Webflow, the stability you're going to get from that job, um, the equity upside you're going to get from that job, the on and on and on. It was like very, very attractive as a stable, smart decision. I think and I have, I think of two friends right now that were very much on the other side. Both of them are in agency land uh, themselves saying, don't give up. I'm paraphrasing, but don't give up what you have uh, because if this doesn't work out, 
rebuilding that client roster, rebuilding whatever those relationships, et cetera. And I remember very quickly writing that off because it's like, no, I can keep a, I can keep a, my agency relationships warm. I can, I don't have to just shut everyone off. I can continue having conversations with, I can help transition uh, folks who are more regular clients to other folks that I recommend uh, that I trust. But I remember hearing that was basically the the two groups. The much larger vocal group was the stability that would come from uh, joining a a, a full time team um, is a lower risk proposition than agency stuff. Because that's the that's the other thing with agency stuff. I love running an agency. I love being a part of it. A small agency is like that. You can't replace that intimacy. That accountability, that direct accountability. There's so much I love about agency work. Uh, and I got very good at it. I got very, very good at managing the client relationships. And I felt very, very good about when things would go right. And I felt very, very bad about when things, you know, take it really personally when things would go wrong. My name's on it. That's, that's a really important thing. So I think though, that I would get these incredible gigs, but they would be irregular. I think that's mm-hmm. freelancing and agency work. Sometimes it goes like this where I would have, I remember early on, I, I got a, um, I got a, a piece of client work where, where someone came, this is from, from Disney and uh, it was for uh, the TV show Grey's Anatomy. And they sent a like two or three second clip of, of someone who had a bloodshot eye. And I, they, they sent it to me and they said, Hey, can you fix this bloodshot eye? And I'm thinking, yeah, I can open an After Effects, draw a mask, feather the mask, track it a little bit, and then just desaturate. You never want to make it white because the eye isn't white. It's, you know, it's going to be somewhere in the gray category. So I just desaturated it. Looked perfect. The the actor, she no longer looked like she had a bloodshot eye. Then I go to export it in After Effects. And I reach out to my contact at Disney and I asked her, oh, by the way, how much can I bill for this? And she replies with something like 10,000. I'm like, wait, what? So I now wait a day. I then submit the file back. I'm like, it's done. And I invoice, I think it was for 10,000. And I remember thinking two things. I remember thinking, holy shit, I just made $10,000 for probably five minutes of work. I don't know what life is. And two, I'm deeply unfulfilled and still feeling that instability of great, that's $10,000. When's the next client? When's the next project? Mm. And I think that, especially early on when I was still building those relationships, that was what kept me up at night. Mm. It was the lack of fulfillment and connection from my client relationships are only when the client needs me or when I can sell them on something um, versus later on, as, as I started building more meaningful agency relationships, uh, having that more dependable two-way conversation, knowing that this work is coming, building that, you know, reputation where more and more people would reach out, et cetera. And I think that was, that was, I think a lot of friends and family were still in that mindset of um, it, it can change in any second agency life. That is hard. It's extremely rewarding when you can when you can nail it, but it can be hard early on. And I think that was that was what was helpful for that that first group to push me into, and not push me, but really just support that decision to to join Webflow. At the end of the day, that didn't influence you know, as supportive as that was. It didn't influence that the decision wasn't based on stability. It was based on holy shit, I want to work with these people. That was it. Mm-hmm. I wish it was. I wish it was like I had a portfolio, like a. a a doc with like pros. No, I never did that. It's like, I just want to work with these people. It was such a gut. Like this is, no, this is it. This is the right call. It was one of those moments where you're like, I I don't even a hundred percent have reasons. I just know that. I mean, maybe you did have reasons true, but it's something that just felt right. And that you needed to do. And you didn't exactly have an explanation for it, but 
I could it bullshit you on right. explanations. I could like, I could, I could, and that's, I think at, the, at, at that time too, if you'd asked me why, I probably would have given some objective, logical reasons. Mm-hmm. But at the heart of it, it's like, no, it's because it's what I wanted is what felt right. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. And maybe that's informed by a lot of those objective things, but it felt right. And I think that at the core of that is those relationships. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to make a decision of like, what's right, what's wrong based on those relationships. Sometimes in life, I think that uh, you're just struck by something and you're just, you just, I don't know how I'm going to make this work, but I'm going to make it work. And I'm going to get myself involved in this organization or this group of people with, with, with myself. Um, I, I rented a zip car um, for, to go to a, a comedy show. And I actually uh, unlocked the car using my phone used the whole check-in process and I sat in the car and I looked at the person that was sitting next to me that was going to the show with me and I said I am going to work with these people then I started like this crazy rampage of just like uh making a like reaching out to the head of UX at at Zipcar saying oh I really like the experience I loved it and then just keeping up a relationship with her over the course of a year and making a YouTube video about how much I loved the 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 product and all of these different things. And just, I don't know why or, or why I was so obsessed with it, but I just couldn't help myself. It, you're just struck by something sometimes. If anyone is listening to this and has not heard Emily's podcast episode <laughs> on exactly this, it is totally, I think I reached out to you like right after I heard that podcast too. Um, I love that story. I think that's, Absolutely right. I think that's totally the right mindset. And I think it takes a little bit of, I don't want to say obsessiveness. Uh, it's, it's, there's something, it's drive or focus or something in that area that, that word, I'm sure there's a Latin word for this. There's certainly a German word for it. Uh, but there's some, there's something where it's, once you get this idea in your head, you just have to chase it. That's you have to chase it. Um, and I think in it has to be a healthy thing. Like it can't be an unhealthy thing. But like in that area, I think your example right there is is exactly what I'm talking about. Once you get that feeling like this is right, this feels right. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you can't you when you can't mute it when you can't get it out of your head. Sometimes you just drive straight towards it, and I think that's profoundly impactful and i think i, I think and I'll, I'll i'll take ownership of this in in my life i don't do that enough i i think sometimes when you have a gut feel about something this is right this is wrong you follow it and i think that's that's a normal human thing but there are times where it's like if something keeps returning to your mind enough give it a second thought write down how you feel about it push maybe a little bit, learn more about it put in your in your case like that changed the course of your career um and it was totally the right move if I can say it. like that was, was such a killer move. And I honestly think that it's really easy to just mute those types of feelings. It's really, it's like, oh yeah, that's a cool thing. And then you just move on to the next thing and you just keep doing whatever was on your path for, for life. What's, what's the next thing on your checklist? It's like, no, if you feel that feeling, chasing that feeling is incredibly rewarding at times and heartbreaking when it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, uh, this is where I think that there's something wrong with me. <laughs> Let's hear it. That, that thing you start is your like, list. I'll, I'll, I'll add with mine for sure. The, the thing that you're talking about, of like, um, like sometimes you can mute the, the voice 
to yes. that that's telling you, oh, this is something I I don't think I can do that. Um, yeah. so I, I just sometimes I get fixated on on things that I really fixated want to accomplish. is the right word. That's, that's the <laughs> word. It wasn't. It's neither German nor Latin. Yeah, you have like, fixations on on things you want to accomplish yes. or or different things like that. So, uh, it's it's kind of just like out of your control, though. Yeah. In in my case, where it's almost like I'm watching myself from like a third person go and do these things, yes. and I can't really stop myself. It's not destructive or harmful or anything, but like sometimes I just get so obsessed with with a certain topic or a certain goal that I look up and it's been six hours. And I, I have nothing but joy and fulfillment from, from doing this thing. I think often earlier in life or earlier in a career, that can seem like an inability to focus or maybe even a, um, a bad thing. But there's something that happens when that level of focusing on something and being able to achieve with that focus ends up turning into one of the most valuable things. And that's mm-hmm. when like, once people recognize that and you build that reputation, for being a person who can just obsess over fixate on whatever, whatever word we're going to use that thing and just completely nail it, like completely nail it. Then it unlocks this like massive professional and personal value because it's the same way with, with you, you just said the same thing about the, the, the person that you're, uh, that you're mentoring the, the person, mm. uh, like it's the same thing who in their right mind creates a freaking PowerPoint <laughs> and a loom, like no one, right? Except you do. You're fixated on it. You focus on it. And that makes you as a friend, as a mentor, as a professional, so much more valuable and valuable. It almost cheapens it. It's not, it's not, it, it, the value that you provide to other people, I think is increased dramatically when you can give the focus and the time and the attention to help someone else or for yourself to achieve really cool things. I always think that like, I, I, to this day, as as you're talking about your um, um, uh, how, how you'll fix it on something, I I feel the same way in every freaking meeting. Whether it's a webflow, it it doesn't matter. If we're if we're in a meeting and you feel like something is happening and it's wrong, a decision we've made, a business decision we've made, uh, an investment decision, something is wrong, and you're looking around at the sea of faces on Zoom, or the 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 border or whatever where where whatever the context is you're looking around mm-hmm. and no one's saying anything the first thing i have is, the my first reaction is why the hell is no one saying anything mm-hmm. and the second thing i'm thinking is oh my god i just said that out loud and i'm now like, <laughs> having this conversation and it's like i'm so like i have to watch myself because sometimes that'll come across and people are like whoa okay what what's what's going on and i have to really you know there's there's better ways to articulate some of this stuff but if someone doesn't speak up especially if you feel that something's right or it's the thing to fix out on the thing to focus on or the thing to say no to that's my big mm-hmm. one just say no um then the risk is it's possible that other people in the room think the same thing they're just not saying it mm-hmm. uh, or the risk is you make a bad decision so I am all for fixating on focusing on digging deep into and just getting really, really, really good at specific things. I love and respect that. I think it's awesome. I, I'm curious if you have the same thing, and this is more about life in general. Uh, sure. I think it's very interesting that um, uh, I have this this inability to like stop myself from fixating on something. Sure. But at the same time, when I meet somebody who has like a very obsessive personality, it totally freaks me out. 
I don't know. I don't, why. Know, if I, I don't, I don't know if I feel that. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love to understand more of that. I don't know if I, I don't know if I can, can relate to that though. Tell, tell me more about it. Like, um, sometimes I'll, I'll meet somebody who, um, uh, is obsessing over one topic so much that they'll go to any lengths to achieve that, whether that's like, uh, hurting their friends or, or mm. any, or anything, not like, or, or I don't know what the word is just like, like not caring about anybody else other than this thing that they're obsessing over. It's just weird because I've, I've felt the ability to fixate on something, but once I see, uh, like an obsessive personality, it, I don't know, it totally freaks me out and I have to like totally remove myself from the situation. It's really weird. So I'm going to ask a follow-up question. When you meet someone who has that type of obsessive personality, is it, do you, is there a gradation? Is there one side where it's like, cause what you just described to me, I would be instantly turned off to that type of, um, that type of thing where the fixation on something has a cost of whether it's, you know, hurting other people or, or, or becoming so self-focused that it just doesn't serve whatever group it is, whether it's a group of friends, family, whatever, if it doesn't serve that group. Well, I I'm, I'm a hundred percent there. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm there, but my question is if you find someone who has an obsessive, maybe obsessive personality is the, is what's tripping you, tripping you up here. But if someone is like very into a thing and mm -hmm. they're just effusively overwhelming, like they can't shut up about it. And you also are obsessed with that thing. That to me is the opposite. It's so magical. I just want to now hang out with that person forever. If yeah. I meet someone who's obsessed with music theory, they, I cannot shut up and they cannot shut up. And we're going to like, that's it. We're just going to be best friends forever. Like that's it. If I meet someone who's obsessed with cinema 4D and octane and render, I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about <laughs> like, I, I gotta hear, what do you think about like path tracing? Like how, what, how many samples do you use for this lighting? Like I will go, I love that for me, obsessive. And we're using the word obsessive a lot. I'm sure there's better words for this, but like someone who, who, who loves is so passionate about a very specific thing that I also happen to be passionate about is magical but I find it just as cool when someone is super passionate about something. And I have no idea. I could just listen to someone passionately talk about something for hours and hours and hours. So my, my follow-up question to you is, do you feel that based on the way they show up with that obsession slash um, fixation, whatever influences how you feel when you're in the room with them or when you're connecting with them? Or is it just like, no, this person is fixated on stuff, obsessive with stuff. I can't, I got to go. I'm I'm curious how it works. I, I think it's whether or not the person is like you're that it's whether or not that person is aware that you are there or cares that you are oh, there yeah. in the room. Okay. Yes. Like I feel like some people they can be really obsessive and they want to share with you and they want to get you involved in this and and like they want to make you understand this thing that they love so much. The other thing is when it's like they're looking through you. And they're, they're not bringing you into their uh, reality. Yes. And that's the difference. I, I can tell you for me in my experience where that happens most is in showrooms and booths at conferences. Really? When, yeah. 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 When it's, it's not everyone, but when you have a, um, when you have a booth at a conference, I've been to so many of these, I'll use music education as a good example. Um, when you go to these, you know, incredibly large conferences where it's all these music educators. There are vendors that are set up in these big booths trying to sell you on the latest music software, trying to sell you on, you know, whatever their thing is, their product, their service, um, anything. And 
There are the folks that just want to meet you and talk to you and have a conversation with you. And yeah, they happen to have a really cool product or service and they're going to, yeah, of course they're going to tell you about it, but they're going to connect with you. And the way they do it is they ask you questions and then they make recommendations based on their product service that relate to the answers you just gave. They really, really, really care about that. And then there's the people who are like, oh yeah, I have this thing. Have you heard of this thing? And they're just like talking at you. I think mm. that to me is the clearest example of how I, I thought what you just described was excellent, which is sometimes people get so passionate or excited about something that they're just going to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And after a couple of minutes, you're just like, oh, okay, cool. Do you want to have a conversation or is it just going to be more of you on a soapbox for 45 minutes talking about whatever that thing is? I couldn't relate more to that. Um, but seriously, music educator uh, conferences and some sales folks at music edu educator conferences are probably the best example of that. <laughs> That's it. Where like sometimes in a conversation like that, it's almost like, I don't think that it matters that I'm here. I think this person could just be having the conversation with themselves. Do you ever, do you ever just walk away? Just walk I, like I, back away, <laughs> well, maintain eye, like aggressively maintain eye contact and just back away. Just wait for them to just like turn around and keep talking, and then when they turn around, you're gone. <laughs> and like, it'll I, be like I, I don't know, that'd I be think, hilarious. I, I think that's. I think you're asking for um, a miracle because I, <laughs> those those personalities generally are not going to turn away. They're going to keep. They're just going. It's just going to keep going on and yeah. on and on. I think that's it. I think it's mastering the back away while maintaining <laughs> aggressive eye contact, just completely owning it. And, and, and just go back into the bushes. Yeah, something. that's it. I, I, you've nailed it. That's it. A hundred percent. I think you and I just created a new strategy for dealing with that type of personality. I think we should test it. I, I think that um, an amazing gift that that I've been given um, through doing this podcast, where like again another like fixation that that I don't know exactly how this started or or anything, but it just kind of happened. Um, I, I've been given the gift of of being able to have conversations with. Uh, people for like hundreds of hours and it is not about me um sometimes I talk about life and myself and things that I've been through but it's it's um it's this beautiful thing of being able to have like a tennis match conversation and I've been given that gift of of practicing that over and over again for for years your best podcast episodes are not the other person you're interviewing talking and talking and talking your best podcast episodes are when we as listeners can sense the connection between you and another person. And that can't happen when it's one-sided. It can't happen when it's one-sided. And I love, absolutely love when there is exactly what you're talking about, that volley, that back and forth, that, oh, I understand that. I like that. Or just as interestingly for, for your podcast, it's like, when you might disagree or you wait, wait, that doesn't make sense. And you'll ask more, you'll ask follow-up questions to it. So I respect the hell out of you for doing that. Um, but I, I think that's what makes it magical. I think it's that back and forth. Thank you. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do like in life. It's just hanging out with people and these podcasts and everything. So that really means a lot. You know how, when, when someone says, um, I'm going to paraphrase here, but when people are like, Hey, if you love to do something, you should do it for a career. You should do that thing if you love to do it. Like there's a lot of that messaging out there. And I think sometimes it manifests in a just weird or unhealthy way or just not a very productive way. I think what's really cool about this is 
the fact that you love to do that, you love to have those conversations and you can capture those conversations and share those conversations in a way that can spark a thing with someone else. Uh, someone's listening to it and they get an idea, they get an insight. It's so far beyond what you're doing with that one person. Having a one-to-one conversation, if we weren't recorded right now, I don't know much that would be, I don't know, I don't think that much would be very, uh, very different. But I, I think the the cool thing is when you can share that with other people, it lets whatever weird aha moment I'm having listening to you or whatever weird aha moment you're having listening to me, it shares that with other people so that they can have that aha moment. That's that's such a cool thing that's that's relatively new. It didn't happen. It's like, it's like 150 years old. It's not that, outside of writing, that is, that is a, such a new thing for humans. And now it's like we're literally looking, looking at each other from totally different time zones over this thing. We're recording. This is, I'm, I'm blown away by the fact that we can have this conversation, that it can get recorded. Other people can listen to it. And hopefully when I stop this sentence and just stop talking, they can hear something inside from you too. But like the <laughs> fact that folks can, I don't know. I, 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 I'm just going to nerd out for a second and say technology is super cool and it helps facilitate this. But you've turned the thing you like doing into something that's having an effect way beyond you and the guest uh, that you're hosting. You've turned it uh, into something way bigger, way bigger. Every once in a while, I get uh, messages from people um, talking about the fact that they would listen to an episode or like where they were or or um, a reaction that their kid had to it from sitting in the back seat in the car. And one time somebody said that uh, they said, my kid was listening to you and, and they said X, Y, Z. And I said, oh, no, I swear. I, I don't know if that's appropriate. <laughs> And then the guy said, no, 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 like, like, it's, it's totally fine. It's like, it's not a problem. Uh, you don't swear too badly. And I'm like, okay. Um, and then I just kept that in my mind. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really amazing. And the, the thing that you said about um, uh, um, technology being very cool. When I had my, my two year anniversary of, of doing the podcast, I uh, made that that episode, which was everybody's intro um, over the course of two years. And uh, the amazing thing was just like all of the accents that was so cool. And the fact that I've been doing it from the same three block radius in Philadelphia. And I have friends in, uh, in Asia. I have friends in the UK, in Eastern and Western Europe. I have friends in uh, South Africa and all just through talking about not work <laughs> and it's really sweet yeah i i love that i i absolutely love that i would also say that i am certain now just because the volume of people that you've spoken with that you've had deeper more meaningful or at least lengthier conversations i think they're deeper and, and i think they're deep and meaningful but you've had more conversations with more people um in this industry these industries i think there's different ways to slice it um then i think most people have i would say that most people have in their career like i think mm -hmm. i honestly think that's a it's a weirdly and wonderfully unique thing about what you're doing you you can't stop doing this by the way you have to like you i i physically can't okay good, good. <laughs> i i i need this so much more than than anybody else needs this 
and uh, you said that uh, some of like the best episodes are when um this is very nice for you to say are are when um uh there's like this this back and forth and there's this connection um between me and the the person that I'm talking to sure. and I think one of the the strongest uh memories that I have of that was actually um the episode that I did with Mason Poe and when he was talking about how he's known me for a long time and has watched me like go through all these different points in my career and everything and just listening to my episodes and everything and he said uh I can tell that that you needed this because you went through some tough stuff and this is just how you dealt with it and you dealt with it in such a positive way and just him saying that and him seeing that I, I went through this huge loss in my life um it sometimes uh when you do something really or at least when I do something great in life it's like compensating for something bad that happened um and so uh, I notice that sometimes with other people, like when you go through something really tough or you're, you're go through a huge loss or something like that. Um, it, there's this insane drive that you have to want to do well or achieve or something. And it's so much, I don't know what else to say other than that. Yeah. I don't think people talk about that enough. I don't think people talk about that enough. I think I think this is going to sound like a totally out of left field, but I think when we turn on the news or we read, um, we read the news, there's this habit. And I, if, if, if I'm going for clicks and I'm going for, for cash grab and I'm a news organization that wants to get clicks, I know I'm going straight for the amygdala. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the scary bad thing and it's going to get your attention and that's it. And I think culturally we just talk about that stuff so much trauma sucks, loss sucks, grief sucks. These things are painful, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, awful, awful, awful things. But if something can come from that, if that loss or that trauma or whatever that is, isn't going to be in, in vain, um, or if there's any way to get value, even if it's just self-value, who cares if it impacts uh, other people? If there's anything, if there's any silver lining, if there's any positive thing, even if it's just sharing that story with someone else and it can maybe help them, through, that is so, so, so good. But we just don't do that as people a lot. We don't. Like we, we rely, and we do it with friends, we do it with family, sometimes we do it with colleagues. But still, we go and open the news and it's like salacious, negative. Sometimes there's, sometimes there's a great story. And it's not like we don't, I'm not saying we have to mute these really important things, but very often it's what gets that, what triggers your amygdala and let's write a headline that does that. It's what, what causes, what, what's this, this, this headline that's going to get someone just to click this thing and read this thing, as opposed to like, okay, these are bad things that are happening. How can we turn this into something good? How can we learn from this thing? How can we work this out? And what you've done is transform What I think a lot of people, I, I, I'll actually say this differently. I'll say, if the decision to do this podcast um, was motivated uh, by, originally motivated by something that you were doing for, for just for you, just for you, um, 
and it ended up having a positive impact. That is so much better than bottling it up, not talking about it, not having, not getting what you want from it. And I think that's, that's a really, really, really tough thing for even, even for me for to, to really internalize and, and work through good things can come from bad things. I'm not saying in all cases, this is it. I'm not saying hundred percent. That's it's, there are things that are, that, that can happen that it's it's really hard to or impossible to find the silver lining from it or you're the output of that the outcome from that can't be a can't be a good thing but where it's possible and when it's possible i think that's such a beautiful thing i think that should be hugely celebrated um i think you should take an extraordinary amount of pride in that um because you've you've done something really good you've done something like i i honestly i started listening to your podcast because i was curious it wasn't because i needed some type of life transformation I was curious and I saw names that I knew and I clicked next to the podcast. That's it. What I didn't know is that I would hear totally, not just guests, but you as well. I would hear totally different perspectives on things I thought I knew. And I think, oh my God, where to begin? Um, I, I'll use, this is maybe a weird example. I, thought, I, I, I know Emily Lodetto pretty well, but I learned so much because of the questions that you asked. I learned so much more about Emily. I think when I first listened to your podcast, we had only been working together for a handful of months. So it was still pretty early on, but there were, there were, and it's, it's hard to think of, of specifics in this moment, but there were so many like aha moments I had just about Emily. And this is someone I already knew um, that, that it, I walked away from it thinking this is someone that I probably I probably would have never asked Emily this question or this question or this question or this question. Um, and I may have never unearthed those things. And I think over and over again with whatever guest, and I think it's, what's also interesting is you ask different questions. Um, but I, I think I think getting that unique perspective that's based on someone else's questions forms a a, a unique set of insights that I don't know. I, I would not dig where you dig. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dig with the same questions that that you. I. I'm highly technical. My first question to any designer, if I was running this podcast, here's how it would go. This is exactly what I do. I'd start with, tell me what is your design stack. Tell me exactly like, are you Figma? Are you Sketch? Like, tell me, tell me what's what's going on there. Do you do 3D? Do you send them a 4D? You do Blender. What renderer do you use? You do video. Okay. Do, how do you preview video? You use QuickTime, VLC. What are you doing in like when you edit video? What do you use? Premiere. No, you a Avid. Okay. How do you like Avid? Uh, what's different from Avid uh, uh, now from 2003? Oh, nothing? Let's talk about that. Like, like that would be it. Oh, you do audio. Pro Tools, to use Audacity. Let's talk, like, do, do you, like, what, do, oh, do you mix your own stuff? Oh, this is great. Let's talk. That's how, that's the conversation I would have. And I think there's value to that. But at the same time, you ask totally different questions. We haven't talked technology once. I mean, we did when we were talking about how tech is cool. But in, in terms of like that specific stuff, it's very different. So I think that's what's amazing about, about different people asking different questions and getting different value from different things. You are in so many ways, not forcing me, but getting me to listen to another side of people that I only know from a, a certain thing. I know their work. When I see a name that I recognize, I know their work. Maybe I've seen some some talks they've done. Maybe I like I recognize them from Twitter. I've, oh, that person tweeted that funny thing that one time, and I hit the like button. Like that's it. That's how I know that person. But when you talk to them, you're getting a totally different side of them that I probably wouldn't get from a conversation like this. I probably wouldn't. So I think that you know, you asked me for like what what did I think that I thought that. I, 
everything, everything. You and I are so different in terms of the questions that we ask. And I love and I celebrate that. That's freaking cool. I love it. Thank you. Um, wow, that was really nice. Um, I learned through this whole process uh, how to like ride with people in a conversation. Like it is a uh, tennis match, but it's also uh, I don't prep all of these questions ahead of time. And I just learned how to just walk with people. Um, and it's it's translated to actually like relationships in my life with friendships and uh, and like romantic relationships and things like that. And uh, just being able to uh, be in the room with somebody, not just be thinking about the question that you're going to ask and not listening to their answer or anything like that. Just it made me so much more present and it also showed me that um, I had so much more capacity for love um for other people in like a non-romantic way like just the i had so much more room for other people in my heart and in my life and everything like that and so that's what really does it for me and so when you say that uh like you like the way that i ask questions and stuff like that that's so meaningful because it's not just the podcast it's like my whole life that has changed in the last two years is the emily that asks these questions that shows up to this podcast different from the I want to know how 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 is that different in your in your personal your family relationship your 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 friendship your friendships how is that Emily different because you just talked about similarities with like how you ask questions are there differences that would show up in terms of personal life versus how you show up in these these podcasts um I can tell you that uh uh <laughs> my, my boyfriend now um the first question that I asked him was what did you want to be when you grew up like, no that's incredible <laughs> oh come on that's great yeah that was that was um the first question that i asked him and he was like nobody asked me who nobody's ever asked me this question I'm like well i want to know and he said i wanted to be a veterinarian and i'm like see now we're starting here oh, and i i love that <laughs> and it was it was just such a beautiful thing because it just like cut through everything and and so I, I think that I'm the same person. I think that sometimes I'm just a little bit more shy sometimes, depending on uh, the context of the situation. Like in the I'm, podcast or in, in personal life or in both? In personal life, yeah. In personal life. Uh, did he become a veterinarian? No, he didn't. He ended up uh, joining the Navy. Very different. Oh, awesome. Did you, <laughs> yeah. did you, did, have you found, and I think this is, now we have a, a few data points. Um, <laughs> have, have you found that, the people that you ask in your in the podcast or in real life, real life, this is real life, in <laughs> personal life or in the podcast, have you found, do you track the percentage of people that you ask, what did you want to be that you grew up when you grew up in terms of a percentage that actually ended up doing exactly that? Actually, I'll even ask you more, more, more straightforward. Have you asked anyone what they want to do when they grew up and they answered exactly what they're doing? Because that I makes the percentage so. really easy because it could just be zero. <laughs> I think some people, they're like, I wanted to be a designer or I wanted yeah. to do art. Like, I think yeah. that's as close as people yeah. got. But have I you tracked wanna, the like, percentage? I, I, that's a data point that I have recorded. So I, I could like do that. This. Yes. <laughs> I think that's, that would be so cool. Yeah. That'd be easy, actually, because yeah. it's all like within the first 20 minutes of the episodes. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty For cool. Sure. <laughs> 
I just like um uh how it can you can really understand who this person was um at a certain age, and that's why the podcast uh, thumbnails are are kid photos um because it's uh, that's that's really who the person is. Um, a lot of uh, uh, who they are now is a lot of that is the foundation. The foundation of that is like who they were in that photo. Totally. I think so. I, th- I also think I said this when we were in, it's been Prague or Barcelona when we were, uh, the team was traveling uh, recently. Um, so often as adults, we pretend to have all our shit together. Mm-hmm. But really we're children and, slightly bigger bodies that that are just as sometimes scared mm-hmm. just as sometimes um uncertain and i think i think it's healthy to admit that at times it's okay like yes there are times where we need to be super confident and decisive and make a call and it's the right call especially when the stakes are high whether it's personal or professional or whatever it's like yeah make the right call um we'll make mistakes cool brush yourself off uh, move on like that's that's fine but the deeper thing is if there becomes this personality trait of I'm going to make the tough call because I'm just going to make the tough call and I'm not afraid of anything. It's, I don't know. I feel like you're losing that bit of humanity that made being a child such a special thing, which is like being a child, there is a vulnerability. There is an openness. There is a a loneliness, a sadness. And I don't know. I talk about we've talked a lot in this this call so far about muting but like if you mute that too much and it just becomes oh confidence 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 i don't know i I, that's that's missing out on a whole range of emotions i'm sure decisions relationships um so i I love that i also think sometimes when looking at the those photos i liked skylar's photo that was my (laughs) favorite oh my god skylar is a little kiddo uh honestly Great. And it's also because I love Skylar to death and think he's the most, I don't know, it's just probably the coolest at the, at the intersection of just great design, great architecture and, and someone who can just easily just transition into, Oh, what about this web page? How would you think through this? How would you think of this button? I think Skylar's one of the coolest people I could, I could go on. We could do, we could literally do an hour on Skylar. I would embarrass <laughs> the hell out of him. I you know what? Do you remember uh, Skylar wanted to be a fire truck when he grew up? I do remember this. <laughs> Listen, I remember exactly where I was when I heard that uh, that episode. And I had downloaded it because I had a, a plane ride from, I think, New York City back to uh, San Francisco. Yeah. And uh, I had downloaded a number. I've hit the download button on a number of um, uh, uh, podcasts. And I remember it was... When they were, we just done the, the flight check was done. We were getting ready to take off and I started the podcast. And I think he said that almost exactly when we went wheels up. I'm almost, <laughs> po- I'm not kidding at all. Um, and I, I, I think that's probably one of the more special answers to that question that you've asked. I think that's, it's a special answer. <laughs> Skylar is a very special, <laughs> wonderful, amazing person. His, um, uh, that, that that question and also being able to talk to people about about their childhoods often um i've actually gotten into the habit of um talking about the kid version of myself like almost as if it's another person sure. um sure. and so it just gives you so much more room to be empathetic and kind to yourself and so uh yeah i would literally say yeah i don't she was going through something or 
uh, this is what she liked or everything like that, because it is like a different version than you. And also you don't even really remember all of the years when you were a little kid. Um, I do it. I would say I do it a bit differently. It's hard for me. It's, I can, I can hear you say that and it doesn't irk me at all. It sounds really, it sounds really great, but it's very difficult for me to, I think of myself as the same person. I, 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 holy shit, the number of mistakes and missteps and learning experiences. I could go on and on about that, but, but it, it feels so much like, and maybe time just starts to do a really screwy thing with you, but it feels like the same person to me. It just, I feel like exactly the same person. I hopefully I've changed a little bit. Hopefully I've evolved a little bit. Hopefully I've learned something, but it just feels like the core same person. Hang on. I'm going to try it with you right now. McGuire when, oh God, this is, this is, this is crazy. Hang on. No, no, I'm, I'm really going to try this. Wait, how do you use it? Use the, use the like pronoun. So it'd be like, I think he was, all right, I'm going to try this. <clears throat> Hello. Uh, this is McGuire adult version. Um, uh, I am uh, not uh, a, the child McGuire. This is very awkward. Uh, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to do this. We're going to, we're going to do this. Uh, when he was, 14 i have to practice this it's so it's so how how would you do it can you give me an example of how you would how you would do it um so the the emily three years ago was a totally different emily okay yeah mcguire 20 years ago was a totally different mcguire yeah he was wearing braces uh which looked pretty good honestly i could i could rock the braces um he's wearing braces his hair spiked straight up and nearly straight up and he always had a farmer's tan because he would on tuesdays and thursdays practice marching band clarinet with the band you know it didn't feel that awkward i really did i expected this to be like a jokey like all right let's try that it didn't that didn't feel awkward yeah it's the first time i've ever done that that's pretty cool club (laughs) i like it i don't know if i'm ever gonna do it again but i might try that's, that's that's not bad okay New ex- that's another new experience. I, I did want to ask you, because we, we talked about this version of you a little bit ago, um, sure. like the, the middle school age, like the you around uh, 10 or 12. Um, yeah. And we, we talked about him in the, the middle school newsroom and mm-hmm. all of that. I was just really curious about what kind of kid that guy was. Uh, keep in mind when I answer this question, I'm going to probably drop the pronoun thing and just start answering directly. But um, for it. he was lonely. Mm. Probably lonely. I, I the, the Cool friends, but never one of the cool kids. Like never one of the, I, I would say if you rewind a few years, uh, a little more. I don't know if I'd use the word bullied at times, but ostracized. Um, uh, the butt of the joke, the weird, like the weird, the weird kid. Like, and I, and I, by, by middle school, I already loved that. I would, I would hang out with the other like weird kids. Like that would be, that'd be great. We, we found, we found each other. Um, and I think different is probably another word I would use. I think I'm going to try the pronoun thing here. Um, I think he was a little, um, a little okay being by himself. I would eat lunch in middle school every day in the back room in the media center. Mm. It was like behind the the library. Um, my 
closest friends, <laughs> what does it say? Hey. My closest friends were the uh, media center ladies who worked at the the media center. Um, I, I felt closer to them and had better conversations with them than I did kids my age. And this was, by the way, this was, this was middle school and high school, even when, when dating, I would, I would, my favorite relationships are the, the conversations and the, the connections I would have with like someone I was dating their father or their mother. I don't know. There was just something about that. I would find comfort. And I'm sure a lot of that had to, had to be uh, based on being an only child um, and not necessarily having brothers or sisters anywhere near my age, but I would hang out with people my age uh, growing up, but it was just very, um, it's very, it's very lonely, but not in a bad way. I think people say lonely and it's like, you get sad. It's like, no, it was amazing. You mean I get to have lunch every freaking day in the media center next to like the coolest, fastest computer in the entire school. Hell yeah. I love that. Like I would, I would, I would love it. And then some, sometimes it'd be other, you know, nerdy, weird friends. We'd have lunch in the media center and uh, that's where, by, by the way, Barbara Vincent, that person I told you about from elementary school, she ended up moving over, um, had nothing to do with me, but ended up being the media center, uh, head of the media center at uh, the middle school I went to. So I feel like, I don't know, I've I've always not fit in with like, and I was never at the cool kids table. That was never a thing. Um, I was always in the, I wasn't even at the the weird lunch table. I was I was in some other room in some other part of the school, lonely, but happy about it. I like being lonely and happy with my thoughts. I really, to this day, like that. I get so much energy from just going for a drive or going for a walk and just being alone. I don't feel sad about it. I don't feel down about it. I feel energized. I feel I feel at peace. I love that feeling. My parents were really concerned about me this one year um, because for an entire summer, I didn't invite anybody over. And they really? were really, what was yeah. the, what was the age ish? Uh, 10. Yeah. Yeah. Between 10 and 11. So like when you go from middle school to from, from elementary school to middle school and I just didn't invite anybody over and I was so content. Like I didn't, I, for some reason, just that summer I was like, you know, I've seen everybody all year. I've been social. I've been like talking with other people. Like this is my place and yeah. I'm going to be over here. Yeah. And my family, they were, they were, my parents were so concerned. Like there was something wrong with me. Like, was I okay? And I don't know how to describe that summer, but it was a similar feeling to what you're describing. I think when you're a parent or it's just, if it's someone that you love and you care about and you observe something that doesn't fit into the norm, I think it's normal, natural to ask that question and to maybe have those concerns. But I think there's also something really comforting about owning it and just being like, nope, I'm fine. This is this is great. And I think where you get into some interesting friendship and certainly family relationship dynamics is when someone says, oh, I don't believe you. Oh, no, really? you can't be. Yeah. Oh, no, you can't be. That's that's wrong. That's not normal. What's wrong with you? That type of. And I never had that. My mom was the opposite of that. My mom would support everything. But I think especially when you get into high school college, you know, adult life, there is an expectation. There's like these rituals that humans go through. There's these rituals of, I think college is a good example. It's like everyone goes, you know, Friday, Saturday night, you're going out to parties. You're doing like, there's like these, 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 these feelings like that is the normal thing to do. And in some cases that's, that's great. Cool. Awesome. Uh, and, and I'll participate, participate in that. But 
maybe there's like three, four weeks in a row where it's like, no, I actually just want to stay home and watch Conan O'Brien on my DVR. Cool. That's awesome. And I, I want to be able to own that, you know, McGuire when he was 20 or 19. Uh, I'm really trying this uh, third person thing. It's, it's still a little surreal, but would, would unapologetically have alone time like that. And my friends would often get concerned. Hey, are you okay? I noticed you didn't come out last night. Yeah, I'm great. Why do you ask? Well, you know, it's been three weeks in a row. I'm like, oh yeah, I was just watching really cool, watching really cool movies. It was awesome. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. It was it was amazing. I don't know. I I I love that. I love just I, I almost generalized and said I love just doing what you want. I think that is a little it's a slippery slope. I, I love being completely okay with a decision that is a decision that you make that may not be the popular decision. Holy shit, I love that. I love, love, love that. Mm-hmm. I actually think I take there's a there's and I wonder if you do this at all. Like when in life, do you make decisions that are unpopular? Or maybe some folks folks around you might not 100% get. Do you take pride in sticking to that or owning a decision that you've made for yourself? Mm. Oh, yeah. A 100%. Like, I've... Yeah. Oh, that's a, yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> Been there. It, where, I, uh, it's like a muscle. Yeah. I think I think that's a very very strong thing. So, I'm thinking about uh, you from that um, that TV studio age. Were there periods of time where you'd be in there by yourself at any point, like editing, or were there any time where you would kind of have that space to yourself? Constantly. Yeah. Constantly, I would be the first person to arrive an hour before everyone else. I would ask my uh, my mom's work schedule. So most of my life, my mom would work two, three jobs, weekends cleaning just to put food on the table. And she's freaking hero because of it. Um, but I, I, she, she supported me. She would, she would drop me off in middle school. The middle school hours were different. So in, in the part of Florida I grew up, middle school would start at like 9am or something, 8.50am or something like that. But my mom, the schedule worked out that she could drop me off at, it might've been seven in the morning. So I was there like way before everyone. So I would always have quiet time. That's when I started to learn how to use a Mac for the first time. This is Mac OS nine. Uh, so back in, was this 99, uh, 2000, somewhere around there. And um, I, I would spend so much time alone, even before any adults would get there. I would just be in the room playing with the tech alone. That's mm-hmm. it. And when I got to high school, it was just, I, I, I had that need for that too. So I would go to the band room after school. I would stay three hours after school, every single day, two to three hours after school, organizing music in the library for two reasons. One, I liked the alone time, mm-hmm. but two, I knew if Miss Padishaw saw me doing that, she would be more likely to trust me. I feel like I would, I would, I would earn her respect, which mm-hmm. was very difficult because she was, um, I think, Terry Padishaw, like you don't mess with Terry Padishaw. Mm-hmm. You do not mess with Terry Padishaw. She mm-hmm. commanded, I don't even know the word for it, uh, respect. Uh, fear is probably not fair. It wasn't like a fear-led thing, but there's, she was like the person you just don't mess with. Is and she so had a I presence? Think, oh my, did she have a presence? She had a presence. <laughs> to this day, yeah, she has a presence. She's like, she's like, I, 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 I could go on and on about this, but she's, Terry Padishaw was the first woman band director to bring a band to Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. 
Terry Pattishall is in the Florida Bandmasters Association Hall of Fame. She is a legendary, absolutely legendary conductor, educator, clinician. She like the, she carries with her this legacy of accomplishment of skill and so you 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 go in there as like a ninth grade 10th grade freshman or sophomore and this this towering presence is there and you know like someone plays a wrong note something happens she'll just give you a look she doesn't have to chew you out she doesn't scream she doesn't do that she just gives you a look Mm -hmm. and then her hands come back up and they start they start again there is this yeah maybe a little bit of fear but there is this just commanding respect and authority that she has so yeah i think the same thing which is the time I would spend alone started to become a little more, it, was, it wasn't to manipulate. It wasn't like, oh, if I do this stuff, uh, Miss Patishaw will like me more. But there was this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go through the motions. I'm going to do this work because she'll respect that work ethic. She'll see that work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have something to prove to her just as I have to prove to myself. So I think that is the high school equivalent of it. And by the time I got to college, it was probably startup stuff. It was mm-hmm. like I would go heads down into either writing music or startup stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I always love that alone time where I can just focus on maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something. I just love, love, love that alone time. One exercise that, that I do often, um, which might, again, feel kind of weird for you, um, is sometimes I go back and think about little points in my life and I, I, I picture what that room was like, or I picture yeah. um, what I looked like or what I was wearing or something like that. And um, I imagine like myself now going over and talking to her, like, like she's a separate person. And so I'm picturing, like I'm picturing you in the, the middle school studio that I grew up in. Cause I, I did um, the directing for that at that age as well. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? I, <laughs> I I would like go, go get to school around like six ish, and then um, I, I my role was brain, which was uh, you press all the buttons and uh, direct people, and and you had the mic set up to the people that were at the cameras and everything. So I'm imagining you in that studio that I was in. Um, and so like, I'm, if, I'm if also you... I just gotta stop you and just say I'm losing my shit right now. How is this even? That's amazing. I. Please continue, but know that there probably have to be 500 more conversations. I had no idea that you went through this. This is amazing. Okay, continue. It was called a, like Timberwolf TV or something like that when, when I was uh, 11 or 12. Or- we had WKMD, where kids make a difference. I'm not even, that's what WKMD stood for. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I'm imagining you at like the same setup that that I had with all of like the buttons and everything and so i'm just wondering like if you were to like walk into that room and sit next to that that version of you is there anything that you would like how would that conversation go you're not changing anything there's there's no no like going back and giving yourself any advice to do something or don't no, do you, something. you just saved you saved the answer because that would be my first before you just said that yeah it would i would say nothing at all i would not change anything i i that person needs to learn and and grow. But if what you're talking about, which is no messing with the timeline, mm-hmm. uh, oh my God, I would just have, I think the first thing I'd ask is just, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? I'd want to know how he was feeling. How are you feeling that day? 
you see any cool TV? You see any cool uh, movies? What are you thinking about? What kind of music do you listen to? What kind of music do you think you should be listening to? Because everyone else is listening to that. And why are you listening to Dvorak from the New World, the Ninth Symphony, Movement 4 on loop? And then whatever answer he would give, I'd be like, just keep doing it. Because that music kills. It's good. That slaps. <laughs> yeah. That, well, you know what they say, Dvorak slaps uh, all the way back from 1898. Uh, I, legitimately... I would, I would, that's, that's what I would focus on is how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Are you okay? Are you doing okay? Why would you ask that question? I think, I think there were, there were times in middle school that, you know how you go through these moments of self-confidence uh, where, where these, these moments where particularly for me in, in middle school, um, uh, a person who had, who had come in to teach, um, and take over the video program uh, wanted me at one point to play a particular song. Cause she told another faculty member that they would, they would play this song and I didn't like the song. I didn't think it fit. And I chose not to do what she said. She was livid. And she said, you're no longer director. Um, and I remember after that today, I would have been like, all right, listen, you're full of shit. Here's why let's talk about it. Um, I probably wouldn't, I would have been respectful. I would have said, I mean, that's my knee-jerk reaction. In the moment, I probably would have been like, can we please talk about this? I'd love to understand your decision and uh, talk a little bit more about what went into this in the first place. And I really want to understand it. But at the time, I just froze up. Mm. Didn't ask anything. I remember living for a couple weeks with this feeling of like, you know when you're a kid and you feel like, oh my God, I did something wrong. I don't quite know what I did wrong, but like, I just feel bad. I think the McGuire at that moment would benefit from today me asking how are you doing how are you feeling and then of course i want to change the timeline in that moment and say hey everything's going to be okay you didn't do anything wrong it's just you know her music sucks you know it sucks you decided to instead (laughs) stick with a higher quality thing for the production and she was wrong you were right um i I think no i wouldn't change a thing but that's why i would ask um Things like that. The moments where you have that doubt where you're not quite formed enough as a human to be able to, I don't want to say speak for yourself, but to be able to have those tougher conversations, to be able to relitigate a decision, to be able to defend a decision, to be able to, to tell someone to their face, what you're doing is unfair. Mm. Or I don't, I do, maybe even, you know, it's not my place. I was freaking 12, 13, whatever, however, however old I was. It, it's, it's enough to be able to say to someone, I disagree with your decision. But I didn't, I didn't have that back then. I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. So I think that's why uh, it'd be helpful for me if I were to go back to ask that question. How are you feeling? Are you okay? Um, And then if there's anything I would say is everything's going to work out. Everything will be fine. Things will suck, but everything will be fine. Did you think at that age that things weren't going to be okay? No, I don't think it was ever an existential like, things are just not going to be okay uh, uh, moment or serious moment. I think it was more of a profound sense of, I really had, like we were talking about earlier in this conversation, I really had a sense of my um, self-worth and value tied up in being a director of a production. Mm -hmm. Um, Even at that age, probably a good amount of ego tied into that. Um, And losing that was losing a little bit of a piece of me. So I don't think so. I think it was just more of a, wow, this really sucks. I'm sad. Well, 
maybe it'll I, I don't I don't I don't think I had that level of understanding or being able to say to myself at that stage everything's going to be okay I'm sure I talked to my mom I'm sure I talked to other people and they said everything's going to be okay um I think I think I think that was it I think at that age I would more heavily rely on others to tell me everything's going to be okay because I didn't yet know how to speak up for myself that was mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. I at that same age I I relied so heavily on my grades and and little achievements and these little dopamine hits of of getting yes. the certain rubric like getting all of the boxes to the left because that those are all the fours or whatever and and getting all of these things to bolster a self-esteem yes. um and you, I was just so like addicted to that, and so yes. dependent on that. And so when you say that that this thing was the source of your self esteem, oh, I hundred percent had that. And then I had a little like crisis when I went to college, and all the classes were harder, and you weren't getting A's all the time. And I was like, oh my god, who am I? Like I have all these other things I'm insecure about, and my grades were the only thing that was keeping me afloat. What do I do now? What was your first moment in college like that where you realized? Was it once grades came out, or was it? When you were in a class and you're like, shit, there's no way I'm going to get an A or a B or whatever that was. What was that moment like when you realized that? Was it one class? Was it multiple classes? What did that feel like? I, I failed a class yeah. and I thought everything was over. I thought yeah. that like everything was going to be bad. And and I actually, I got in trouble for uh, um, somebody helping me with my homework assignment. And then we both got in trouble because our homework assignments were the same. And just the amount of shame that I felt and having to call my mom and thinking that I was going to get kicked out of the honors college and everything, just like all of these things that tied up my personality and my self-esteem and my ego. um, That was the thing that just shattered. How long was it after that until you realized everything there was going to be okay? It wasn't, you know, life ending, honors college ending, et cetera. Like what was the, what was the, the timeline there? I think when I started applying for jobs later in college, like when I was graduating and I was realizing that grades didn't matter, almost like where I went to school didn't matter. And like it's all of these so things, true. yeah, all of these things that I tied my, my self-esteem up in, they didn't matter. And the only thing that really mattered was like the work that I did and the relationships I could build with other people. Isn't that the... I, I feel like at some point they need to tell you that in high school or college because the weirdest thing I, I cannot tell you I, I've I've had the honor of hiring just so many people uh, in 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 my professional career uh, whether it's full time employees contractors and I cannot tell you a single time that I looked at someone's GPA that I looked at someone's major that I looked at someone's uh, even college they went to outside of, you know, maybe having a casual conversation around that at some social thing, like, oh, hey, I heard you went to Penn. How was that compared to, you know, like maybe, mm-hmm. but that's so, so, so rare. And it's, it's so much more like, who are you? What do you value? What is the value you're bringing to this job or this? And it's, it's so weird because I think that switch flips for most people either at the end, like you just said the end of uh, someone's uh, college experience or high school or whatever, whatever that person, um, whatever path that person's on. And in reality, it's like the thing that you get, I think the the most common question, I think as educators that that comes across, especially in middle school, high school is when the hell am I ever going to use calculus in real life? 
right? I've asked that question before of a teacher. I raised my hand. I'm like, um, Y equals MX plus B. More like I'm never going to use this if I do whatever. And like, I wish I had a teacher that said to me the following. You will never use Y equals MX plus B or AX plus B, Y equals C or all the other stuff. You will never, ever use this. Chances are it is very low probability. You will ever, ever use this in a lifetime. Like you will not use this, but it's the logical reasoning and the critical thinking, thinking skills that you're getting from learning this. That's going to transform the way you think that's going to create a foundation of problem solving that you're going to use for every single thing you do, regardless of you opening, a, if you choose to open a restaurant or a freelancing business for websites, uh, or you're going to be it's on the executive team at Webflow. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Those skills are so deeply transferable. I wish someone would have said that. That's what was important for middle school and high school and college. Like the, that's what's important. Not, oh, this semester I had a 3.43. Last semester I had a 3.5. I feel like shit. And someone's going to see this on some job application. No, with very few exceptions. There, there are definitely, there are definitely paths where that is more important. Like the path to grad school, post-grad, like uh, law to a certain extent, medicine, but only in very specific, but like it's, broadly so much more about what you said which is like it's the relationships you're building it's the networking it's the critical thinking the logical reasoning skills that you're gaining while doing some other thing that may have nothing to do with what your career is going to be but it doesn't matter because those things that you're building those muscles that you're strengthening are so much more valuable than the specific skill of y equals mx plus b i'm still salty about this i was out for a week in sixth grade mrs runyon great great teacher um, seriously, great teacher, but, uh, I was, I was so pissed off. I was out for a week. I missed, um, Y equals MX plus B had a graph, you know, uh, a slope uh, based on what that Y intercept is and being able to graph the slope. And we had a quiz and I got like a 23 on that quiz. And I felt like I was on, I felt like I was behind for another two years in math because of that one week I was out. I never had the confidence to go up and be like, what the hell is Y equals MX plus B? Explain this to me, please, for the love of... Mm. I just never did that. It took me two years. And I, I remember I finally learned how to do that when I got to like proper algebra two years later. But that's what I mean. I, I wish someone would have told me that a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. It's not the specific skill you're learning. It's... Or it's not the specific... um formula or the specific like how to solve this exact thing it's the general way that you're developing reasoning and you're developing logic that's what's critical and if any student of mine ever says yeah but why do i need to know skills that's the first thing it's like no you're not going to sit in front of you know ten thousand people and play skills but holy shit are you going to need to be able to have facility and ease of being able to go through whatever key music is written in that's why you need to nail skills. And you're also developing extraordinary self-discipline and accountability for yourself by learning and practicing this thing and doing mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. So now let's try B major again from the top. One, two, ready, go. And then we do it 20 more times. Like that's, that's it. I wish I had more of that earlier on. So I could not agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. It's, it's weird how much we place our worth and value into things like not just grades, into academic performance that's really, really, really specific. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important thing to to share with people. And 
I don't know how the time went by this fast, but that's also an amazing note to end on. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think it's a, I think we're in the key of B major. Uh, yes, it's a perfect note to end on. I think that's someone out there should be like B major is a key, not a note. Yes, but if we're in B major, we're probably going to end with a concert B pitch, and that's the that's the way to do it. I think I think that's it. How do you feel right now? Oh, how much time do we have? Uh, I feel great. I have all I, the time in the world. <laughs> I feel I feel I feel great for for two reasons. Um, I am on a high. I feel I feel very very very. What I didn't tell you was I love alone time and I love recharge time. But when you can have an effortless conversation with someone, when you can actually just connect and get value from it, give value, like however however that works, I get really recharged. So I'm on a high of like, holy shit, what a great great conversation. Like that's that's what that's the first thing I feel. The second thing I feel is starved. I'm starving. I'm so hungry for delicious food. I can't even think straight. I want sushi, but I also want hot wings. I want a big salad, which is weird because I had a big salad for lunch. I want pizza and not just any pizza. I want a pizza with pepperoni and black olives. I want a large pizza and I don't care if everyone sees me eat the whole thing myself. I want breadsticks. I also want just tons of pasta. Emily, I want, I want so much pasta. Well, you're doing an amazing job for how hungry you are. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> um, I I can't thank you enough for for spending all of this time with me, and and not only the time that you spent with me right now, but also like the time that you spent with me by listening to to episodes and and these little moments that I got to share with people. And also, I, I have to acknowledge the 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 flowers that that you sent me when I got my my first big girl job i i have to tell you the just the one story that um i walked into my apartment building and oh i know the were... story i like this story. yeah did you hear the story already? you you told i think you i think you told me this story i think you this is in person no oh, i think you must have i don't know this is months ago but this was um i think you emailed me or dm me or something it's, i i know this story I, oh okay okay I, I no, I want I want everyone to hear the story. This is a this is a great story. Wait, is this um, the one where it's like you walked by, you're like, oh, that's really sweet. Someone else got flowers. Was that it? Yeah, okay. I'm stealing your thunder. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I I I walked past it and um uh the, I guess the, the context is I um uh, I used to be in a in a relationship where I never got any flowers. And um it like was like a big tension thing and I, I always wanted flowers and then I felt uh sad because I would always ask for them and and never receive them. Um, and so I, I walked past it and I was like, oh, some girl, I, I was single at the time, but like some girl got flowers, like, that's really nice. And then I walked past it again the next day and it was still there. And then I walked past it again and I was like, this ungrateful girl, like somebody sent her flowers this and she's just this so, so terrible. Good. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, this, she's so ungrateful. I have to see like who this is. And I, I looked at it, I was like, oh shit, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, I did so I didn't know this. I, yeah. I I must have I had the simplified version yeah. of this. I can so in that moment, you realized the thing that you would walk past, you're like that that you feel almost resentment for someone else that you're like, oh, 
wait, this is congratulations for me getting a new game. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I am the ungrateful bitch. <laughs> Not at all. I think I, by the way, I think, um, I think that journey, that uh, uh, podcast episode, um, and the way you talked about that opportunity, it's funny, you, you say big girl job, but I would actually say, um, I would actually say, the level of care, not just professionalism, but the level of care for anyone listening to this. Okay, I just need to talk not to you for a second. Anyone listening to this, the level of freaking prep that Emily does is not just legendary and well-known to everyone. I mean, it is. But the freaking notion doc that you put together with like the intro format, here's what to do for tech prep, you, that, that level, that is a pro 10,000 job. I think you in a, in such a wonderful way overachieve by default i think you are a goddamn professional in so many cool ways and anyone that ever challenges that give them my number i swear to god i will fight them you are you bring so much joy and professionalism to everything so yes you can call something formally a big girl job or professional whatever that is no i think you have that so deeply ingrained um i'm so incredibly grateful not just for this opportunity to talk to you to connect with you but i'm so grateful to the the warmth and the uh, for the warmth and the humanity that you've brought to the design community i think and you can quote me on this in a year two years but i think this is still such early days um not just in terms of the impact that you're that you're having and going to have but i think this is going to be we're going to look back on this this is early early days in terms of you doing this incredible thing of capturing these moments with human beings that we all revere and look up to and and have heard of uh, somewhere. You capture these moments that let us look at humans a little differently, that let us look at maybe work, maybe life, but whatever it is, a little differently. Um, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's replaceable. Um, so I truly mean it, please, for the love of all things, holy, <laughs> keep doing this. Uh, it's, it's so impactful. And I, I could just talk your ears off for another 30 minutes on, on just that. But I'm, I'm, in, I'm extremely grateful for the value that you've, uh, that you've brought. Um, not just to me, but I think, I think the impact that you've had has been profound on just a metric ton of people. And I think that's just continuing to grow. I have uh, I have one thing for you before we wrap up. Sure. Um, uh, do you do you have access to your your email right now? Um, uh, yes. Which one? This is like a Webflow email. Yeah, your Webflow email. I actually timed an email to send to you at the end of our episode, um, and uh, it's it's from my my great design lead email, and um, it should have sent uh, maybe about. 15 minutes ago 14 minutes ago yeah and so uh, i actually in preparation for this i um asked a whole bunch of people in the webflow community the kind of impact that you made on their lives and if you click on that notion document that's in that email it's all of the quotes from all of the people that that i know and you know and them talking about what you and and the education team have made on their life so i wanted to just let you know that that's there um, and you can look at that at any point. And that's how I wanted to end the episode. Well, I am uh, 
speechless would probably be the best word to describe because, and you know, you know me well enough by now that that just doesn't happen. Um, I'm so humbled uh, and 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 a little overwhelmed um, by that kindness. I am staring at a Notion doc and it's just a spinning wheel of loading. Oh. So this, this is nothing about, no, it says nothing about Notion and everything about. You you can see it uh, on your own time or, or we'll, we'll sort it out later, but um, I just want to let you know that it's, it's, it's there. Um, and thank you so much for, for everything. And if anybody is listening to this and they, they really connected with you and they want to reach out to you, or maybe they're listening to this and they're one of my UX people and they don't know anything about Webflow or anything like that. Um, and they want to say hi, or they want to follow you, how would they do that? Three ways. Number one, uh, Twitter at McGuire Brennan. I do not tweet very often, uh, and I try to check DMs at least semi-regularly. Uh, two, uh, come this, uh, uh, this, this fall in October to WebflowConf. We have four different events. Uh, we have San Francisco, we have New York, we have Chicago, and we have London. Um, and three, uh, reach out to Stacy Han. That's Stacy S T A C Y at Webflow dot com. I just have a habit of giving out her email address to so many people, and I'm not going to stop anytime soon. So, <laughs> if you ever want to get in touch with Stacy too, uh, she's remarkable, video lead extraordinaire. Um, Stacy at Webflow dot com. S T A C Y at Webflow dot com. I'll make sure everything's in the description so people can just click and go. And thank you for everything. And I truly, from the bottom of my heart, hope this is just goodbye until next time. This is goodbye until next time.